Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Congratulations, true crime addicts. We've survived another week. It is Friday, March 25th, 2022. And these are the top true crime stories from around the world. Brought to you by me, James Renner. Hey, uh, we're getting very close to CrimeCon Vegas. Vegas, baby. Uh, It's coming up at the end of April, last weekend of April. And if you're still considering going, remember... You can use my code RENNER, R-E-N-N-E-R. Don't worry if you spell it backwards on accident. It's still the same word. I'm a palindrome. How cool is that? Uh, Anyways, that'll give you like 10% off. Uh, I hope to see you in CrimeCon Vegas. I'll also be at CrimeCon London uh, in June. So hope to see you there if if you're in the UK. We'll get some bangers and mash. And... Some tea. You know, I, I like on whatever they do there. Whatever you want to do. Uh, <laughs> and I want to thank everybody who gave me a, uh, a shout-out and a rating, uh, a subscription last week. I noticed a nice bump in the Apple Podcasts. Some nice new reviews. Thank you very much. Every little bit helps. We're still building this thing, this monster, this machine that is True Crime this week. And I hope to make it bigger and better this year. With more episodes and uh, and uh, extra little things that are coming up, uh, I'm actually recording the new season of the Philosophy of Crime tomorrow. That's my other podcast. I do one season a year, six episodes, and I release them you know week by week. I'll probably release the first episode of the fifth season of Philosophy of Crime uh, in about three weeks. Three weeks. I'm covering some interesting topics. So check it out. Get caught up on the first four seasons, The Philosophy of Crime. Let me know what you think. Anyways, let's get to the top stories. There's lots to cover this week. Some crazy stuff. Most of these stories are out of New York City. It was a it was a, a, a wild week in the big city, in the Big Apple. 
uh, a Manhattan socialite has been charged with manslaughter this week after a bizarre act of random violence left a famous vocal coach dead. The victim is 87-year-old Barbara Joan Mayer, who kept an apartment in Chelsea. She was about to catch a cab outside the apartment on March 10th when a young woman pushed her to the ground. Mayer hurt her head in the fall. Before becoming unconscious, she gave a description of her attacker to police. She was shipped to Bellevue Hospital, where they found she'd suffered brain damage in the fall. She died five days later on March 15th, the Ides of March. Meyer was a well-known vocal coach, well-known around town, vocal coach to celebrity singers like Debbie Harry and countless Broadway stars. Police and prosecutors believe the person who pushed Meyer is 26-year-old Lauren Pazienza, who turned herself into authorities on Tuesday of this week. According to the Bastion of Journalistic Integrity, the New York Post, Pazienza is a New York socialite reminiscent of Anna Delphi, or if you watch the show, as she says, Anna Delphi, uh, who posted photos... <laughs> sorry for that. Uh, Pazienza posted photos of herself at swanky parties and art galleries around town. Pazienza was well-known by the residents in her apartment complex downtown, who often saw her arguing with management, often shouting, What do you want from me? Her enemies have come out of the word work since she was charged this week, including a kid she allegedly bullied in grade school. She racked up a lot of enemies, this one. Moments after the incident, Pazienza was seen arguing with her boyfriend while watching the ambulance uh, and EMTs treat Mayer. Then she was seen leaving by subway, according to prosecutors. They also alleged that she was witnessed calling Meyer a bitch before pushing her to the ground. Pazienza is also accused of trying to hide from police after this incident, fleeing to her parents' house, stashing her cell phone at her aunt's place so they couldn't track her that way. Police went to the house eventually, and her father said she wasn't there. Pazienza's family has hired a high-powered attorney named Arthur Adala, who, um, this is kind of a big, big guy, a big deal guy. He's previously repped Rudolph Giuliani, Harvey Weinstein, and Roger Ailes. Interesting, interesting group there. Giuliani, Weinstein, and Roger Ailes. The common denominator seems to be guilty as sin. Uh, anyways, he appears on Fox News regularly, according to Deadline.com. He says all they have, really, is a photo of someone who looks like Pazienza getting on the subway. So, you know, this is clearly an upcoming Netflix documentary. Check it out. Second story tonight, also from New York City. The New York Justice Department accidentally, and I'm using air quotes here, accidentally published the names of 121 clients of a sex cult prostitute just this week, sending the elite in Manhattan into panic mode. They are freaking out. 
a little background here because this case is bonkers. It involves one Larry Ray, who was 49 years old, when his daughter enrolled at Sarah Lawrence College, a private liberal arts school in Yonkers. And, uh, you know, as 49-year-old fathers do, he moved into his daughter's dorm. Gross. Moved into his daughter's dorm and slept on the floor in the same room she shared with seven other girls. And this guy must have been very charismatic because once he was there, he started his own self-help organization, which he called Quest for Potential, which he used to manipulate and abuse the other young women, according to Investigation Discovery. Ray was very well connected in New York. He'd been the best man at the New York Police Department commissioner's wedding. He told the girls that he was a CIA operative. And uh, he would he would sometimes put the girls in a seat at night. They'd gather around and he'd pick a girl out and have her sit down in a chair in the middle of the circle and have her reveal deep personal truths in front of everyone. Soon, he was controlling every aspect of their lives, when they ate, when they went to bed. Not just the girls, but their boyfriends, too. This guy could, like, sell ice to Eskimos. He began to pressure the students to have sex in front of him, and then eventually with him. Then he began demanding money from them. Twelve of his victims attempted suicide in the years after. One turned to prostitution in an effort to pay Ray back, pay him millions of dollars, after he accused her of trying to poison him to death in a very weird, this is a very weird form of extortion. So, and she admitted at at, at one point, yeah, yeah, I, I tried to poison him to death. And then he caught me and he was extorting her. Look, look, I'll go to police and tell them you tried to kill me if you don't pay me millions of dollars. The only way she could think to do that is to turn to prostitution, which he kind of, you know, coerced her into. Ray was finally arrested in 2020 and charged with both extortion for this and sex trafficking, according to CBS News. This young woman at the center of this all began charging high-end clients from the city $2,000 an hour, and accepted up to seven clients a day. Eventually, her rates went as high as $8,000. And then this week, Larry Ray's trial descended into absolute chaos. Began when the Justice Department accidentally released this woman's client list on the docket before somebody realized it and quickly sealed it again, but not before several news outlets got it and got this list of very very powerful people that was were involved with this woman that had been manipulated and coerced into the sex cult. 121 names, including a top executive at The Gap and her husband, who were looking for a third. A famous painter with studios in the East Village. A famous architect. An investment executive who had already appeared on Jeffrey Epstein's list a hedge fund manager, a D.C. lobbyist, and an Amazon executive. And then the trial 
This ongoing trial was suspended twice this week when Larry Ray seemed to have seizures in court. Nobody knows if he's acting. They had to treat it seriously. They took him to the hospital both times. This trial may never finish. It's a complete mess at this point. Also, there's a very in-depth article written uh, by some great journalists working for The Cut. You can find it on The Cut. And this kind of kicked this whole investigation into Larry Ray. Good for them. I am not going to link to it, though. And I didn't use it for reference uh, in this episode because it's behind a paywall. As a journalist myself, I don't believe that information should be... uh, I think that information should be free to all. I will never, ever on this program link to any source behind a paywall. That's just me on my soapbox. It doesn't matter. Anyways, if you want to seek it out, it's at the cut. New York Times is reporting that this is the final story this week. And it's kind of a general story, but I saw this and, and it's it you know it's important. The New York Times is reporting that we're currently seeing more violence, more violent crime in America than any other time since the 1970s when it was at its peak. It is now an epidemic and people are quickly trying to figure out what the hell is going on. What is making us descend into anarchy here? Last week alone, there were nine mass shootings across the United States. Murders have risen 30% since 2019. Could be many reasons. Reasons could be due to social isolation and frustration from this pandemic. There's a general sense of lawlessness brought on by police violence. We can no longer trust the police, some people believe. There are no more protectors in this world, some others believe. There's been a rise in gun sales during the pandemic. Nothing like um, the possible end of the world to drive gun sales. Experts believe we may be reacting to a breakdown in social norms and something sociologists called anime. Anime. A-N-O-M-I-E. Anime. Which means a lack of ethics in a broad group. They're saying this could be a disorder, as in a disorder of our population, of our culture, a kind of moral holiday, essentially sort of like a long-going purge, right? And that we have no more feeling that we're alike, this, this fellow feeling that you and I, we have enough in common not to, not to kill each other. We're lacking that at the moment. As a group, Americans have seen an increase in alcohol and drug abuse since 2019. Our median blood pressure is up. I can feel it right now. Yes, indeed. Uh, and our mental health is declining. As a culture, we, we, we are sick and we need to get better. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I end every episode of The Philosophy of Crime with my little motto that I think would make us a better society that, that I'll share. It's kind of, you know, Mr. Rogers type of thing. But really, uh, it's a very simple thing, but also difficult at the same time. We really need to make an effort to get to know our neighbors again. And I, I don't mean everybody in your neighborhood. I just mean if each of us took the time to really get to know the, the people living in the house to the left of us or the apartment and the people living to the right of us, just, you know, both sides. 
get to know them and, and make friends with them. Invite them over for taco night or whatever, but really get to know them. I think if everybody could do that, we'd be able to recognize the dangers in this world, the people out there who need help, and we could get them help before they became another statistic. But we become so isolated that we're afraid to get to know our neighbors, and I think this is driving this this craziness. So make friends with uh, with your neighbors, people, or at least get to know them. Um, all right. Hey, we're going to take a quick break, and then I'll be back. We've got all sorts of cold case and genealogy updates and a very weird story that I found online. I'll be back in two and two. Welcome back to Caravan of Courage, an Ewok story starring Warwick Davis. Hey, I've got four stories this week about cold cases that were solved using different DNA processes. Are you interested? I know I am. Uh, First up, police in Alameda, California, say they finally cracked a 1977 unsolved homicide, according to KTVU. 43-year-old Richard Bischel was a Marine who served in the Korean War. He was murdered in his home when he fought off a burglar who was trying to break into his house on March 16, 1977, while his 17-year-old son was in the house with him. Um, this is this is a hero in every way, Richard Bischel. Not just a Marine, but saved his son's life. Bischel was stabbed to death, and the burglar ran away. The cases remain unsolved since 1977. Now, recently... The son uh, went to the police and asked them to reopen the case and take another look at the evidence. The detectives, they had already had a hunch that the murderer might be this man named Richard Curley Bernard, who'd been busted for around 100 burglaries in the area between 1973 and 1977. Uh, During some of those break-ins, by the way, he, he raped a number of women. Bernard was convicted of those crimes and sent to prison, but was released in 1983. Then he was shot and killed in 1989. But luckily, luckily, the police had kept evidence from Bernard's crimes, and they went back and tested his jacket. And on that jacket, they found DNA that linked him to Bischel's murder, solving the case. This is pretty interesting to me, because this is kind of exactly a reverse of what they usually do. Usually you have the victim, and they get DNA there that traces back to the killer, in this case, they had a guy that they really liked for the murder that they thought was the killer, and they tested evidence of of his, his jacket, and found DNA of the victim. Really kind of cool. Backwards. Somebody was thinking outside the box. Nice job over there. Here's the second case. Genetic genealogy has led to the identity of a Jane Doe from Dade County, Georgia, just this week. On December 16, 1988, a woman's body was found uh, on I-59 near the Alabama state line. Now, over the years, the police have tried lots of different ways to identify this woman. They tried clay renderings to get kind of like a sketch of who this person looked like. But there were no good leads generated by these different processes. Then in 2015, the Dade County Sheriff's Office sent material to the FBI's lab in D.C. for testing. They were able to get a DNA profile of the victim, but it didn't match anything in their systems. And then comes genetic genealogy, right? 
and they recently tried it again on these public databases, and that led them to the missing persons case of 19-year-old Stacy Lynn Chahorsky. Stacy Lynn was last seen in Michigan September 15, 1988. That's quite a ways from Georgia. She called her mother to say she was in North Carolina and was going to be traveling to Flint, Michigan soon and reuniting with the family, but she, she never came back. She never came home. Somehow, she was last heard from in North Carolina. Her body shows up in Georgia. Police notified her family just this week. The search for her killer continues. Now, on December 8, 1982, the remains of a young African-American man were found in the Escatapa River beneath I-10 in Jackson County, Mississippi. He was found by divers who were searching for a different body. You know, you, they went diving in, looking for one dead person, and, and they had to come up and they're like, hey, uh, you know, we found the dead guy we were looking for, the dead person we were looking for, uh, but there's another one down here. Um, were you looking for two? These cases, by the way, were unconnected, totally unconnected. Um, apparently you can't throw, what do they say, you can't throw a dead cat? And you can't throw a dead cat around there without finding a dead body. Jackson County detectives teamed up with Othram Labs for testing and genealogy, and the good people at Othram found a family tree that was similar. They asked a relative for a new sample. Testing showed that this person they got the sample from was a sibling of their John Doe. He's now been identified as Gary Simpson, a young man who was born in 1962 in Louisiana. They still have no idea who killed him. That's the thing with these cases. You identify the victim, that's just half of the mystery. Now now you have to go back and figure out who had motive to kill him. But now that you have an identity, you get a hell of a lot closer to that answer. My good friend Colleen Fitzpatrick is in the news again this week and her team at Identifinders because they've uncovered the identity of a serial rapist who preyed on women in Pullman, Washington in 2003 and 2004. Using DNA from crime scenes, genetic genealogy, it has led them to 47-year-old Kenneth Downing, who was arrested by Spokane police this week. I wonder if he was sitting at home hearing all this news about genetic genealogy and and wondering when they'd come after him. He had to know he was caught. Look, if, if you've committed a violent crime like that, rape or murder, it's just a matter of time before they knock, knock down your door. You might as well go to police at this point and just turn yourself in, or a lawyer to, you know, negotiate your surrender. Kenneth Downing faces four counts of rape, two counts of burglary, assault, unlawful imprisonment. They first matched his DNA from those two crime scenes in 2004, so they knew they had the. there was one guy responsible for all these. They issued a warrant for the profile. This is interesting. They were able to charge the DNA profile with the crimes back in 2004. They did that so that the statute of limitations didn't run out. Very smart on their part. So he's uh, he's been arrested now. Uh, hey, uh, I know some of those stories were depressing. Let's get to some weird news. This is a crazy little thing that happened in the small town of Windsor, New York this week. 
Well, the news came out this week, but this is kind of happened a couple months ago. Windsor, New York has a population of like 800. It's farmland on the Susquehanna River near Pennsylvania. There's a high school down there. Good old boy town. Students there organized a gangsta night for a basketball game. Students showed up. All these students were white, by the way, if I had to explain that. They showed up dressed as Crips and Bloods, the gangs from the L.A. territory. Some were wearing fake teardrop tattoos, shower caps, low-rise jeans. They were flashing gang signs. The coach of the girls' basketball team is kind of new to the district. His name is Kashif Summers. He's the only black staff member. This seemed to have been a tradition going on for many years. Uh, well, it, you know, he was horrified when he saw this. DNU, uh, I'm sorry, DNYUZ, it's a news outlet out that way. They, they interviewed the superintendent after this happened, and the superintendent admitted, yeah, and this is his, I'm quoting him right here. Here's his quote. Yeah, actions of discrimination and, and you, you know, violations happened. He says they faced, the students involved faced consequences, but he didn't elaborate. The parents of the students defended their actions on Facebook, saying, hey, we have hillbilly night. Why is it any different than this? We're all hillbillies here. We don't take offense. A Jewish girl who went to the school uh, came forward and said that uh, the day she wore a Hanukkah sweater, she was told by a teacher there, hey, this is America. It's Merry Christmas to you. I think uh, some changes might be happening in that school district soon. Don't have gangsta night, people. Uh, going to pop culture, have you seen the trailer for the new Netflix documentary about Jimmy Seville? This documentary is scheduled to come out April 6th, but there's been some backlash. I think it's at least possible it may not come out. It'd be interesting to see what happens. Netflix in the past has dug in their heels when people protest. Look at... Uh, Dave Chappelle, although I think that was a little, I, you know, I don't know what to think about that. I like Dave Chappelle, but I, I do think he stepped over the line. Anyways, there's a lot of backlash about the trailer for this new not Netflix documentary about Jimmy Seville. Um, people in the UK, where Jimmy Seville was from, are having a fit, saying, why are we retreading one of the worst stories in their history? Now, if you don't know who Jimmy Seville was, he was this popular TV personality in the UK. He was host of this show called Top of the Pops and another one called Jimmy Will Fix It. Top of the Pops was kind of like Bandstand and Jimmy Will Fix It was kind of like was this show where he would um, uh, help people uh, finish their wishes, whatever you wished for. He, Jimmy, Jimmy will help you get it. He was kind of like, essentially, he was kind of like the British Dick Clark. He was in the public life for four decades often seen with royalty and celebrities hosting public charity events. It wasn't until after his death in 2011 that it started to come out that he led a very secret and devious life. He was using his connections to children on these shows and in these charities. He's alleged to have abused as many as 450 people. 450. These were mostly young teenage girls but also kids as young as five. He 
also is suspected of having sex with corpses at a hospital where he had access to a morgue. Creepy, creepy stuff. Uh, his first, the first allegation of assault was from 1959, and the last one was 2006. This guy is the boogeyman, man. Most, mostly people in the UK are saying, this documentary should never have been made. We shouldn't retread this. Let it die. He's dead. Nothing will come of this, only re-traumatizing the victims. And I, for, I, I think I have to agree with that. Like, is there any other purpose at this point for the documentary than just a sensational story? We've heard the story already. He's dead. We're not getting justice. I don't quite get it. I don't think I'm going to watch that one. Let's take a quick look at the charts, the top true crime podcasts in the United States, charted by Chartable.com. There's a couple new ones here. At number six is a podcast called Very Scary People. Here's the write-up. In 1974, mass murder shook the sleepy waterfront town of Amityville, New York. One November night, police found the DeFeo family shot dead face down in their beds. Only one survived, Ron DeFeo Jr., the eldest son with a troubled past. In this six-part series, host Donnie Wahlberg. What the hell? Like, why is Donnie Wahlberg uncovering this mystery? That came out of left field. I, I don't... I hope... I hope Marky Mark shows up at some point. Anyways... Donnie Wahlberg untangles the dark and complicated story of what happened that night and unearths how these grisly murders sparked an infamous haunted tale. This is, the, of course, the story that um, inspired Amityville Horror. When I was a kid, like in kindergarten, we lived in this old farmhouse that looked exactly like the house from Amityville Horror. And one night, my parents watched it on TV, and it, I, 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 I had nightmares for weeks. Especially that scene with all the flies. Do you remember that? And number seven is Standoff. A podcast called Standoff. Standoff follows Fred Gomez Carrasco, a drug cartel kingpin, an orchestrator of the 1974 Huntsville, Texas prison siege. The siege was one of the most infamous hostage crises in American history and played out in dramatic fashion over 11 days, all in front of a terrified national audience. 100 hours of audio containing the actual hostage negotiations and the deadly shootout tell the story like never before. It's interesting. It's a different sort of podcast there. It's not a grisly, a single grisly murder. It should be interesting to see how that plays out. That's the news for this week, folks. Um, as always, join me on Repod after the show. That's the Repod app. We can talk about the show, uh, catch up on other, you know, whatever you want to ask me. Show up on Repod. Send me a question. I'll answer it. Um, also, don't forget, catch up on the first four seasons of Philosophy of Crime. The new season comes out in just a couple weeks. And look, we, we made it. You always have to celebrate when you made it through another week. It is Friday. And in the words of the incomparable Murray Saul, the patron saint of Cleveland Radio, it is Friday, and that means we gotta, 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 gotta,
Get down. Damn it. True Crime This Week is a Fearful Symmetry production. Our theme music is Trash Town Boogie by Mr. Smith, used under a Creative Commons license for use in this show. All sources are listed in the liner notes at the end of this episode. If you like the cut of my jib, please check out my other podcast, Philosophy of Crime. Unless quoted directly from a source, all content should be considered the opinion of the host. That's me, James Renner. See you next week. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Una Chaplin, and I'm the host of a new podcast called Hollywood Exiles. It tells the story of how my grandfather, Charlie Chaplin, and many others were caught up in a campaign to root out communism in Hollywood. It's a story of glamour and scandal and political intrigue and a battle for the soul of a nation. Hollywood Exiles from CBC Podcasts and the BBC World Service. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. <laughs>